Let's pray. Amen. Father, thank you, God, for your uh, agape love for us, God, uh, your unfailing love, Lord. God, your grace is immeasurable. Um, Lord, your grace towards us, God, in the midst of whatever we find ourselves in life, God, your grace is, is even more, Lord. We thank you, God, that we serve a loving and gracious God who meets us in our time of need, God, who heals all of our sins, um, who cleanses us from unrighteousness, Lord. Um, God, without your grace, Lord, none of us, Lord, would be able to stand before you in prayer. And so, Father, we just come to you as a, a gracious God and creator, Lord, sustainer of our lives, Lord. And um, God, I pray that as we begin looking at prayer, uh, the beginning of this year, God, you would encourage us and challenge our hearts, God, by your Holy Spirit to move towards you, God, to be asking you, God, um, for things, to be asking, God, for your will to be done and your kingdom to come, God, here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And so I, I pray, God, that as we begin to look at corporate prayer this morning, God, you would encourage, challenge our hearts, God, to be involved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Yeah, I don't know how many of you just have this desire in your heart that you, you want to see God. Like, is there, is there like a hunger and thirst? Like, man, God, I just want to see you move. I want to see your movement. I want to see your kingdom expand and grow and for lives to be changed and transformed. Um, how many of you desire that? How many of you think about that? Like you think, God, come on, let's move, God. Um, my desire this morning is to convince you from God's word, church history, of the importance that corporate prayer plays in the movement of God amongst his people. Um, in the fall of this past year, um, man, for years I just felt this conviction that, man, we needed to spend some time in corporate prayer on Sunday mornings. We needed to, to you get so busy on Sunday mornings doing the work of the ministry, preparing and things like that, and, was, and God had been saying for years, man, you need to stop what you're doing and pray. And so back in the fall of September, um, we made a decision and we just said, you know what? We're going to spend some time in prayer as a body of Christ before we worship uh, together on Sunday mornings. And so every morning at, at 9 o'clock, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we're here as leaders praying. And so my goal is to convince you first from God's word and church history of the importance that corporate prayer plays and the movement of God and among his people. And my second objective this morning is to convince you to come join us at 9 o'clock for prayer. I think there's three reasons that I want to bring this before you this morning. Um, number one is this. Corporate prayer, it, what we're going to see this morning is that corporate prayer is on par with preaching. You know, we put, an, we put a, kind of this emphasis on the preaching of the word of God. Scripture puts an emphasis on prayer that is equal to the emphasis of the Word of God. Um, number two, praying together is vital to God opening up His presence and working in unique ways. And so we're going to see some stories of things that have happened as God's people prayed in the early church. Um, we're going to see some things from 
recent history of how God has moved, and everything is birthed in prayer. And number three, um, we need to talk about this issue because um, even amongst leaders in the church, sometimes I think we think of prayer gatherings as kind of a, an extracurricular activity, right? It's sort of a thing that's um, it's, it's extracurricular in the life of the church. Um, the fact is, is that it's primary to the life of the church. And so that's what I want to convince you of this morning. Um, I want to convince you that God has sovereignly ordained the corporate prayer of a church such that when we, the church comes together to pray, there's, there's a sense that God works increasingly and exponentially, um, and his purposes are celebrated through the church praying together. Um, and understand this, too, that this message is not to minimize the importance of personal prayer, okay? We're going to be talking about that for the next four weeks um, as we look at how to pray. Instead, it's to show you that when God's people come together to pray, the Lord moves. And so, well, let me just try to convince you of this. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, the first point that I want to make this morning is that praying together was a priority for the apostles. Okay? And so this might be a familiar passage to you. Um, Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I want to just draw your attention to that last sentence there. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Now, when I've read verse 4, I always think about that in terms of personal prayer. These, these spiritual leaders, these apostles, right, are going, hey, we need to go in our closets and pray, and we need to minister the word of God, and so we're going to find some, some other folks over here, we're going to find them to do the hands-on ministry stuff, right? They're going to be the ones that do the deacon work, right? And a lot of times when we think about the role in the office of deacon in the church, we'll turn to Acts chapter 6, like this is the first establishment of the deacon role of, in the church, and, and so these apostles then are saying, hey, prayer is really important for us, this personal prayer. We need to study. Uh, but there's actually a lot more that's going on in this passage uh, than just personal prayer. You see, in the context of this passage, the apostles aren't, they're not referring to the need for personal, private prayer. They're talking about things, about, they're talking about ministry, of bringing people together, right? These are ministries of the church. They're saying, hey, the widows are being overlooked. We need to start a ministry of distribution of food to the widows. This is a ministry of the church. We need to establish this ministry. Yeah, there's two ministries that they must do as church leaders, is what they're saying. We must mobilize the people of God to pray together. 
and we must administer the word of God. Now, why would I say that? Why would I think that? Well, for one reason, this idea of this office of prayer in the church, this ministry of prayer in the church, the context of the conversation is corporate, right? They're talking about corporate ministry. The apostles developed developing a ministry to care for widows. The church had grown so much when we see, like, it was probably easy for the apostles to do all the work in the beginning. But my goodness, the church is expanding. There's more than, more than what they can do. The second reason that I think that this is about corporate prayer and not necessarily about personal prayer is that when you read the Greek sentence in verse 4, it puts a definite article in front of prayer and the ministry of the word. In the Greek, it reads like this. And we will give our attentions to the prayer and the ministry of the word of God. You see that? So there's a sense where in the early church, there's this, there's this ministry of prayer. And as you look through Acts chapter 1 through chapter 6, you see that, that that's exactly what's happening. All the way up to chapter 6 shows the priority that the apostles put on corporate prayer. If we go to, back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, what does it say there? It says that as they're waiting for Pentecost, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, where are they gathered? The whole church is gathered, gathered in this room, and it says that they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What is the church doing together when they're gathered? They're praying. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 42, we see that as this church is being established, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church is gathered, and it's devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. says, when they, they heard this, and so Peter and John, it is, I believe, are, are being persecuted, and, um, and, they, and they're, they're drugged before the Sanhedrin, and so, and they, they were released. And so it says here in verse 24 of Acts chapter 4 that when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, right? And then we get down to verse 29. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says that after the church prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you get the picture here? Here's the church. They're, they run up against an issue. They run up against persecution from the Sanhedrin. What do they do? Their response is to gather together. What are they praying for? They're saying, God, Fill us with great boldness. They're not praying for God protect us from the attack of the Sanhedrin. God, let's ramp this thing up. Give us a boldness to speak the gospel of God. 
It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit in great boldness. And we know that God was moving in the early church because his people were praying. In Psalm 138, verse 3, um, David writes this. He says, when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. Paul, when he asked for prayer from the early church, he said in, in Ephesians 6, in verse 19, he said, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ back in, in the early church, they were praying to God for boldness and they were gathering together to pray for God to move. And what happened? What was the result of that? The gospel was spreading. 3,000 were added to their number in that day. 3,000. The church was praying. Praying together was a priority for the apostles. Where do you think the apostles got this idea and this importance of corporate prayer? Good answer, Monty. There you go. At three o'clock, man, they're praying. Right. Yes, that's my second point here is that Jesus emphasized the importance of praying together in his earthly ministry. Um, the apostles learned this, this idea of corporate prayer by watching Jesus. Jesus invited his disciples to come and pray with him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even taught his disciples how to pray. When you look through the Gospels, Jesus refers to prayer 37 times. Now hear this. Of those 37 times, 33 are a reference to praying together. Jesus put an emphasis on praying together not just private prayer. And this message is about corporate prayer. It's not to take anything away from private prayer. A familiar verse to you would be Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now you read that, right? And you immediately apply it to yourself in your private praying, don't you? We think, okay, I'm going to get in my closet, and I'm going to ask and pray. I'm going to seek God, find, knock, and the door is going to be open to you. The you is plural. Imagine applying this verse to a body of believers, a gathering of believers. In the church. Ask, church. Come together and ask, and it will be given to you. Seek the Lord together, church, and you're going to find it. Knock and keep knocking on the door, right? Keep knocking, keep praying, keep hoping, keep looking for God to move, and the door will be open to you. The apostles took what Jesus said here and they made it a practice. 
They made it a priority. They made it a priority to pray together with their fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, they got that from Jesus. Jesus had emphasized the same thing. Let's look back at Acts again. As we see the early church develop, it's clear that the the mighty movement of God is birthed out of prayer. The third idea here is that corporate prayer and the movement of God, I just want to talk about it in the early church. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13, um, 120 people are gathered in the upper room praying in one accord when, the, when Pentecost comes. That example in, in Acts chapter 114 that we just read about, 120 people are in this, are in this place praying together. It's not like a, just a, a small group maybe gathering to pray together, which that's good too, by the way. This is the whole church at the time. The whole church is gathered in this upper room praying together. And we know what happens when the church prays. What happened as they prayed? There's a description of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. It's like tongues of fire coming down on them. The disciples prayed in Acts chapter 1 and verse 24. The disciples prayed for wisdom in knowing who would be Judas's replacement, right? Who should it be? And so the church came together, and they prayed. And they cast lots. And it ended up being Matthias. When Peter and John reported to the Sanhedrins the threats, those gathered cried out to God. We read about this example already. They cried out, it says, in one accord for boldness. And the place was shaken where they prayed. When the church gathers together for prayer, God moves. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 6, the church prayed over the seven men appointed to serve the widows. In Acts chapter 12, 1 through 11, after James is martyred and Peter is imprisoned by Herod, the early church was fervently praying, and God miraculously delivers Peter from his cell. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, While the prophets and teachers were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit came upon Paul and Barnabas to go on their first missionary journey. The church is praying and God is moving. God's calling people into missions. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, Paul and Silas, we saw this when we were studying Philippians, right? Paul and Silas are put in prison for sharing their faith in Philippi. And they're praying and God sends an earthquake that resulted in what? They're released from prison? No, the jailer comes in. Like, ready to fall on his sword. No, we're all here. We're not going anywhere. Resulted in the conversion of that jailer. And ultimately, the release. Corporate prayer and the movement of God is, is happening in the early church. We know that, right? You know that. These are examples of God working as people are praying. The question is, did God only move during the New Testament times? Was that just kind of a time period here? You know, we have all these records in Scripture, and that's really the only time that God was moving. And now it's just kind of all, eh, we just go about our business and and throw up prayer. Ask anyone working for IMB, they'll say no. No. 
Yeah, we'll get to that. In history, we see corporate prayer and the movement of God. Some of the great revivals that take place. Um, one example is the, the businessman revival of 1857. Um, America is riding the wave of a strong economy, and as, as tends to be true in times of prosperity, there's a decrease in the interest, in the interest of God. We're prosperous. We don't need God. Of course, there's always someone who's praying, and there's a man named Jeremiah Lamphere whose concern led to call for prayer. Uh, he tacked up notices in New York City, calling for a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays from noon till one at a rented space on Fulton Street. You know, the first prayer meeting was on September 23, 1857. Six people showed up. Sound familiar? Six people showed up. And they didn't arrive just they didn't arrive until just before 12:30. Next week, the attendance jumps to 20. And every week, week by week, these numbers continued to climb. October 10th, the stock market crashed. Of course, when the stock market crashes, People wake up and pay attention. Panic ensues. And the hearts of many people turn to God. It's not long before somewhere between 10 and 50,000 businessmen were meeting every day in New York City to pray at noon. By week 15, the meetings moved from weekly to daily. People crying out, for God. In 1858, this prayer movement leaped to all the major cities in America, and the Second Great Awakening swept over the United States. Estimates are that a million Americans, out of the population of 30 million at that time, were converted to Jesus Christ, gave their lives to Jesus Christ in less than, than two years. And it all starts with prayer. One businessman that has a burden for God's people and praise. How many of you had heard that one before? No? Okay. I figured maybe a lot of you have heard about that one. As I was studying revival and looking at just different stories, this one just gripped me. Um, there's a group of islands in Scot up, up of, on the west of Scotland, the Hebrides. And I tell you what, reading the story of this, I, I read the transcript of a sermon that was preached in 1968 uh, by a guy named Duncan Campbell who was a part of this revival. And um, wow. He recalled his experience of the revival that took place. And I'm just going to kind of share some snippets of this. So in November of 1949, there's a movement of God on the island of Lewis. It's one of the biggest islands on the, on the Hebrides. It's the one, the most northern island. It began when two elderly women, right? One of them, 84 years of age, and the other, 82. And by the way, the 82-year-old, completely blind, physically. She's burdened. They're burdened by the state of the church. 
There wasn't a single young man or woman who went to church. Whole generation missing in the church. They spent their days reading or walking, but the church, it's, it's, not, it's not important. They left the church out of the picture. And so these two women were greatly concerned, and they made it a special matter of prayer. Um, a verse that gripped their hearts was this. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Isaiah 44, verse 3. And this burden is so great for these women that they decided that they were going to, to spend time in prayer twice a week. On Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening, and they remained on their knees till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage on their knees praying. One night, one of the sisters has a vision. Um, in that vision, she saw the church crowded with young people. The church was packed to the doors, and there's a strange guy up in the pulpit preaching. This vision so impresses on her soul that, of course, she goes to the pastor, to the minister, the parish minister, as they called it then. And, uh, and of course, he, knowing of the two sisters, knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responds to their invitation and called to the cottage and, that, and then the women then ensued in saying, hey, you, you need to do something about this, right? You need to do something about this. We had this vision. You know what? Here's what I would suggest to you. These, old, these two old ladies are telling this pastor, they say, here's what you need to do. You need to call together your, oh, what did they call them? They called them the, the office bearers. And, I need, and you guys should spend at least two nights in prayer in the week, Tuesday and pri Friday. If you... You gather your elders together, you can meet in the barn over there, and you guys pray there, and we'll pray here, right? And um, of course, who's going to deny two old ladies who are on their knees praying? So the pastor, pastor says, well, that's what's going to happen then. If they say it, it's going to happen. And um, he calls together all of his office bearers seven of them to be exact, and they go into the barn and they pray on Tuesday and Friday. And the two old women got on their knees with them. And that continued for almost a month and a half until one night when they're praying in the barn, they're pleading this promise, right? I will pour water on him that is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. One of the young men, deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24, says this, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart and who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And then the young man closed his Bible, looked down at the minister, the other office bearers. He said, this, this may be crude words, but perhaps not so crude in our Gaelic language. He said, it seems to to be so much humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And he lifted up his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? 
but he got no further. The young man fell to his knees, and then he fell into a trance. The pastor says, now don't, ex- don't ask me to explain this, because I can't. He fell into a trance and is now lying on the floor of the barn. And in the words of the minister at that moment, he and his other office bearers were gripped by the conviction that a God-sent revival must be related to holiness, must ever be related to godliness. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival, that was the conviction. And when that happened in the barn, (laughs) the power of God swept over the whole parish. There was an awareness of God that gripped this community such that they had never known in over a hundred years. There was an awareness of God that's, that, that's, that's revival. And on the following day, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms as the men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things that gripped them, on eternal realities. Of course, that wasn't enough. These women approached the minister again. They said, all right. They encouraged him to find someone to come and preach. They still wanted that guy that they had in their vision to come and preach. So they searched around and they heard of this guy named Duncan Campbell. And when that guy got off the steamer, it's 9 o'clock at night, he'd been traveling all day, the leadership's saying, hey, I know you're tired, but uh, would you come to the church? And when he got to the church, about a quarter to nine to find that 300 people had gathered. He'd say about 300. He gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting, he said. A sense of God, a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So he pronounced the benediction, and they were leaving the church at about a quarter to 11. And just as he's walking down the aisle, Along with this young deacon who had read Psalm 24 in the barn, he suddenly stood in the aisle, looked up to the heavens and said, God, right? God, you you can't fail us now. God, you can't fail us. You promised, God. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. You can't fail us. And as soon as he falls on his knees in the aisles, he's praying He falls into a trance again. And just then, the church doors opened, right? It's now 11 o'clock. The local blacksmith darkens the doors of the church, and he runs in with excitement, and he says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has just happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty floods and the dry ground and listen he's done it he's done it the pastor went to the doors of the church he looked out and here are 600 people standing there 600 people right where did they come from what had happened he says i believe that very night god swept in pentecostal power the power of the holy ghost And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening in the church of Barvas. 
That night, while they were praying and having their service, there were a hundred young people at a dance, right? In the parish hall, and they weren't thinking about God, and they weren't thinking about eternity at all. God wasn't even a part of their thoughts. They're there to have a good time that night, and suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. Music stopped, and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as men fleeing from a plague. Guess where they went? To the church. These folks are now standing outside of the church. Oh, they saw the lights of the church. That was a house of God, and they were going to it, and they went. Men and women who had gone to bed rose, dressed, and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of special effort except the intonation uh, from the pulpit on the Sabbath that a certain man was going to come and conduct a series of meetings. But God took the situation in his own hands. He became his own publicity agent, as Duncan Campbell says it. And a hunger and thirst gripped the people. 600 of them are now at the church standing outside. The crowd continues to grow to 800. And over the course of the months, many, many, many young people, there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God and many young people are being saved. This went on for three years. And these young people that were giving their, themselves to Christ, they became missionaries to the next generation. They became the missionaries and ministers. God works when his people pray. And it all started with two old women and one who couldn't even see. You know, God's still moving today. <laughs> There's still corporate prayer, and God still is moving even today. I mean, this is 1949. This is 1857. God continues to move. God wants to work. He, he's saying, ask, knock, and the doors will be open to you. Today, I was looking, and I was like, man, where is God moving today? And I went on IMB's website, um, I was like, well, I wonder what, what God's doing in the IMB. You know, that's our mission that we're supporting for the next three months. One of the things, one of the places that IMB is targeting right now is Japan. The Japanese need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to their website, 99% of the population doesn't even have a personal relationship with Jesus in Japan. Now, they have a deep cultural, spiritual heritage, Buddhism, but they're praying. The churches and missionaries are praying and planning for gospel opportunities, because guess what's happening there this summer? A little thing called the what? Summer Olympics, Tokyo, right? The Southern Baptists are praying there's a prayer movement that's taking place, praying for God to move in Japan. And already what they're seeing is that one healthy church in Yokohama has been holding festivals with, with results that are happening, festivals allowing local residents to meet Japanese Christians and see the joy that they found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This has prompted people to visit the church following the festivals to learn more about 
what they're seeing and hearing. The pastor of that church is praying for God to reach 10 million Japanese by 2024. And God is able to do that. And God can do it. Folks, we need to be on our knees together in prayer. One of the things that I've asked you to do this, this year is who's your one? Who's the person that you're going to be praying for to find the Lord Jesus Christ? We come and join us and pray for that person. We need to be crying out for the next generation. There's a sense where there's a, there's a spiritual lethargy that's, that's, that's in, in our culture. The, the culture continues to assault the minds and the hearts of our young people, and not just our young people, ourselves. We need to be awakened by God. The truth is, is that there is nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. We've seen it. We've seen God move. God can move again. But notice how it happens. God moves when his church gathers to pray. Ordinary people like you and me gathering together, crying out for God to work. Next week, um, we're just going to be looking again at, so how do we pray? What do we pray for? What did Jesus teach his disciples? What was it that the early church was praying for? You see, God wants us to cry out for our needs. He wants us to cry out for our basic needs of health and food and provision and protection. But that's just the, the beginning of it. God wants us to cry out and ask and seek and knock for so, so much more than that. There are such bigger things that God wants for us. Will we respond to that? Will we be found praying and asking? So let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing, God, and the way that you move, God, in ways bigger than God that we can comprehend, bigger than anything, God, that we could plan, Lord. God, these things, these things that we read about, God, they, <laughs> they happen in spite of any sort of plan, Lord. Father, you were moving, God, and there was a burden on the people's hearts, Lord. Each, each person had a burden. These, these two women, God, were burdened. Jeremiah Lamphere was burdened. God, the early church was, was burdened believing that, God, you would move and, God, that you would work in powerful ways. God, we believe that, God. We want to see you move, God. We want Grimes to be a place where Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, could you, God, could you, God, would you, God, move in this place, God, awaken the hearts of these young families, God, that are moving into this community, Lord. 
Awaken them, God. Revive them to, to their spiritual heritage, God. Many of them grew up going to church and just said, you know what, I'm done with that. God, would you awaken their hearts, God, again to come and gather. Be God's people. Be with God's people, Lord. We pray, God, for a movement, God, that you would, you would move in our midst, God, that we would see, God, your hand at work. Father, to bring glory to your name, God, to bring honor to your name, God, would you pour out your spirit, God, we pray. Father, we desperately need you, God. Come and move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the